If you want to spend less time going to the grocery store, then you need to check out ButcherBox. It's a super convenient way to find high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust. ButcherBox only sells 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. And you know what all that means. No antibiotics or added hormones, so you get peace of mind that you're eating healthy food. On top of all that, ButcherBox makes shopping simpler because it gets delivered right to your doorstep. Shipping is always free, and you can customize your meal plan so you're only getting exactly what you want. We've tried everything from pork chops to tenderloins at our house, and they're always a huge hit. ButcherBox prices are as good or better than what you can find at the store, plus they have exclusive member deals, as well as a ton of recipes, cooking tips, and other kitchen hacks to choose from. So sign up at ButcherBox.com LISC and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. So sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash LISK, L-I-S-K, and use code LISK to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus $20 off your first order. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mopac Audio. Welcome to part two of our interview with Matt, a New Jersey detective who breaks down the details of what went into tracking alleged serial killer Rex Howerman, along with what happened at his house the day he was arrested. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and thank you for listening to this exciting episode of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer. What do you want to jump into? I took a lot of notes. Basically, my notes are just a review of the bail application, but also a review of the press conference, which I, which I thought was very telling. I think I found during the uh, the press conference um, was the burlap. The media and has been speculating that these were, you know, burlap sacks that you would find at a nursery. Apparently, they're not. Apparently, it's it's like hunting burlap. Uh, they were used to st- strictly camouflage the bodies. I'm shocked that they wouldn't release that information sooner. You know, it's pretty it's pretty unique stuff. It's, this burlap is not something that everybody has in their in their households. Um, hunters may have it, you know, things like that. But um, you know, web sleuths and and the media and the public, they were, you know, they were accusing a nursery owner in Long Island of being the Long Island serial killer because the guy owned the nursery. Like, <laughs> it's pretty crazy that um, we learned in a press conference that the burlap was completely different than what was being reported and out there. Obviously, Rex was trying to conceal the bodies. My opinion is I, I think that information's really big. I kind of wish that information was out there sooner. Maybe somebody you know, would have called and said, hey, you know, like, the guy down the street or the guy just went to Walmart and, and bought 10 cases of burlap. Like, um, we don't know. Well, or like, you know, my 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 uncle's a creepy guy and um, and he does this hunting burlap. He does duck hunting or he doesn't, but he has it. And, uh, you know, it's a tip that comes in that they could follow up on. It is weird that early on it had leaked about the burlap, but you're right. Like it could have been pretty insightful had they released that. I mean, you, sometimes you don't release stuff because you don't want someone to catch on. It's not like, you know, the Chevy Avalanche is one thing, right? Because that is very specific. But the burlap thing, it could have been seem, seemingly helpful. It could have been um, 
they also could have not released information because, you know, they're hoping to ultimately identify a suspect and ultimately find some burlap in that suspect's house. So that, that might have just been a tactic to mislead the public in hopes of ultimately strengthening their case. So you know, there's reasons why they don't release that stuff. But I, I thought that was like a big piece of the press conference. That was, that was kind of like a shock moment for me when I learned that uh, the burlap wasn't the burlap that we uh, we thought it was. Given that the the search history that was just for that one window from this year and last year, do you think he was still active? And do you think he was still active after 2010 when that site was discovered and that he had changed sites? I mean, we're totally speculating, but where do you think, especially because, you know, 07, as far as we know, 07, 09, and then two in 2010 could have been ramping up. Do you think he stops when the location is found or do you think he changes locations? Where do you land with that? Pure speculation, but I don't think he stopped. Um, and, and the reason I come to that conclusion is that he's still contacting escorts. He's still using burner phones in 2023. Um, the police clearly said that they took him into custody at this point in the investigation because they had to weigh the threat to the public compared to the probable cause that they you know, they built for the investigation. Um, so they were obviously concerned that there could potentially be a, a future victim out there and they don't want to you know, have that on their hands. I don't think he stopped. He may have taken a break, you know, once the bodies were found, that's probably very realistic that he took a break. But I think at some point he, he built back up and he's probably back, you know, back at it at some point. Well, and this is what's so important too, because if, and I feel the same way for what it's worth that, you know, he probably kept killing, like you said, you know, one that they were like, hey, we thought he might be ramping up to do it again, potentially. And just some of those searches and stuff. I mean, the searches for the serial killers, why haven't they caught him yet? That makes sense. But just some of his, you know, some of his contacting sex workers, some of his searches and that, you know, it seems like he was still pretty disturbed. So it'll be interesting to see if they can find evidence in the storage lockers or in his house that leads to new victims and a new dumping ground potentially yeah it's, it's, it's definitely possible especially you know if he, if he did something within the last five years um with the way technology's changed especially like cell phones the the big three companies you know verizon at&t and uh t-mobile they they track your every move there's no way of turning it off it's it's called advertising data so each company calls it something different. One company calls it true call data. One company calls it Nilos. Everybody calls it different, but all, all three companies, they track your every move. And what they do is they take your information and they sell it to advertisers. So for instance, Chris, if you were, um, you know, you were going to work every day and you were going on the same route to work and you were coming from a very high end neighborhood, they might sell that information to a billboard there and they might put like high end jewelry or you know, something, something fancy on the billboard that would pique your interest. They track everything. And on the law enforcement side, we can get all that, which is, which is phenomenal for us. Those records will literally put you in the room in a house. So not just the house, it'll put you in what room you're in. So a lot of, a lot of homicides are, are solved these days with those records. The only problem with those records are that the records are so big because it's tracking you pretty much every second or two. So the companies, they don't pay for the, the storage for too long. So a lot of these companies, you know, are 30 days, two weeks, uh, one company is only seven days. So if he did something within the past, you know, past year, I'd say, um, they're going to know about it based off those records. So that's something that they're probably going to be looking at too. That's really helpful. That is really helpful. It's scary. 
how much they can track. But I'm glad I'm not doing anything illegal. <laughs> and the thing, the thing is, uh, Google does the same stuff. That's why most Google products are free. They don't charge you. But you have to read the fine print. Google tracks everything you do, and they sell your information to, you know, to different companies. And that's why you have different advertisements coming up on your social media and and, and your cell phones and things like that. They they track everything you do. And you know, fortunately for us, law enforcement can get that stuff. And that's it seems like that's what they did here in in the list case. They uh. They were able to get all these Google searches. They probably got some location information too, but it probably doesn't stem back to 2010, unfortunately. Yeah. But they might have, you know, they might have that 16-month window of last year where they could, you know, see where he was, see if his family was away, and you know, it potentially could lead to a new dumping ground. We don't, we just don't know at this point. That's true. Like you know, in 2015, his wife goes back to Iceland, and they can track his phone potentially to Manorville or to, you know, way out West Long Island or somewhere in New Jersey even. And like, why is he going there when his wife's gone? And that could potentially lead to, you know, more evidence, correct? Correct. Yeah. And then you had mentioned this, but I don't want to give details so serial killers get better at this, but... <laughs> It seemed like, you know, you don't want to keep your normal phone next to your burner phone next to a victim's phone. Is that right? Uh, it seems pretty sloppy to me. Yeah. Let me ask you this, and then we'll go back to any, you know, any details. You're much better at this than I am. But I had one question, like, as you look over the, the bail application and thinking about the press conference and other things that have come out, what do you think SCPD slash the task force did really well um and where do you think they missed the mark a little bit so the new task force is you know it's a new set of eyes on the case um i think they did a, a great job analyzing all the uh the burner cell phone records that they had it seems that they you know they probably had a bunch of analysts on the case plus they had fbi cast team on the case um, i think they did a really good job with that it was probably very difficult to put his phone in the same facility you know, in the same region as some of these burner phones, um, they were able to do it. They also backed that up with some, uh, I believe, some American Express records. So it looks like they did a nice job with uh, looking at his transactions. Meaning, like if he if he went to Applebee's in Manhattan um, on a so and so date, they also looked at the phone records and saw that those phones were in the same vicinity as Applebee's when he charges, you know, his bill. They did a really nice job with that. Yeah, that's a great point because you know, like you might have a burner phone that he has ping somewhere else rather than his normal phone. But then you can also pull in the Applebee's receipt, for example, and say it shows that he was here and that ties it all together a little bit more. Correct. Absolutely. They did a nice job. Uh, they put everything, you know, they put a lot of cell phone stuff in there just showing, you know, the victim's phones. Also when Rex utilized some of the victim's phones to check voicemails and, and also taunts uh, family members. They mapped out everything pretty nice. So when he was arrested, they actually found a burner phone on him. So obviously they were, that's something they were probably tracking. I don't know if they wiretapped it or they were just doing like a pen and ping on it, which would basically show like all his incoming and outgoing activity. But obviously they knew he was contacting escorts recently. So they basically had him in pocket for a while. The district attorney already said that they retrieved that burner phone from the person of, you know, of the suspect. That's a nice piece of evidence, too. That's good. And then, you know, so they 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 come on, um, you know, they February 1st is their first day of the task force last year. 
mid-March, they get this, you know, avalanche. They start doing this, you know, 300 subpoenas looking into this guy. Once they start doing that, there's a whole year until they arrest him. Are they watching him every second? How does that, what does that look like as they're building this case? So they're not physically watching him every second. I'm sure they did a lot of surveillance on him. As you know, as we know, they retrieve pizza crusts, which they use as a DNA reference sample to compare to the hairs found on some of the bodies. So they're not watching him every second, but they're they're tracking his like electronics and stuff like that. So, but I would expect that they probably had a, a wiretap on his phone or a, a pen on his phone, which would it would show all like incoming, outgoing phone calls. So they knew he was, you know, contacting escorts recently. Um, it also gives you like location history. So if they're you know they're pinging all his phones, they can kind of tell where he's at if they see any obscure movements you know at 11 o'clock at night if his phone takes off and it's you know it's at a hotel in montauk they you know it's something that they probably would jump out on and uh and start doing surveillance or potentially even take him down um if they thought that there was a threat to you know life or serious bodily injury so they're when they say they're they're tracking him they're they're, they're doing a good job they might have a gps on his car there's there's all different things that they could do but uh they're not watching him physically you know 24 hours a day that's just it's just not uh realistic but they're they're following everything he's doing any social media he might have um, his tinder account his his email account there's 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 all different various ways but uh you know he they obviously saw him as a, a huge threat to the community so ultimately they had to step in and and arrest them i think you know based off the search warrants and and future dna and, and things like that i think that they're they're very comfortable with their investigation and their their case well that's good to point out because you know you just wonder like boy you don't want the guy out of your sight but it's true like as long as you're tracking him you know if he heads out to montauk at 11 o'clock at night after being on tinder or whatever you're like okay we got to stay on this because it could be dangerous for someone Right. So they could see they could see him making an outgoing call or they, you know, for all we know, they might be listening or he calls an escort and sets up a meeting. And um, obviously that's something of concern. <laughs> so uh, that's that's an instance where they might uh, they might step in. Um, ultimately, they didn't have to. They they arrested him outside of his work. But you can see the bail application. They, they definitely did physical surveillance. I mean, they have video surveillance from uh, it looks like a T-Mobile store in Midtown Manhattan. Oh, where yeah, he's, where he's charging uh, up his minutes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's, he's trying to be slick. He's, he's using cash, but it's clear as day it, it's him. It's funny because you could see a lot of reports and a lot of information coming out right now. A lot of web sleuths are doing like a great job on this case. They're finding like Google images. And this guy is so massive. He's so big that, you know, you can't miss him. I think I saw an image yesterday of him just talking to a girl on the street. I don't know the time frame of when it was from, but somebody zoomed in and was able to tell like that's that's raps. It's interesting. And I'm sure a lot a lot of tips are probably coming in since his arrest. A lot of people that had interactions with him, maybe some other escorts are coming forward. Maybe he was, you know, rough with a couple of them. We don't know. Maybe, you know, for all we know, maybe one of them could have been a potential victim and they escaped, you know, and because of her line of work, she doesn't want to report it. That's you know, it's very common. So I think they're probably getting like a ton of tips right now, uh, which is a great thing. You know, that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is your POS command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that unites your in-person and online sales into one seamless process. Easily track every sale across your business and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. You can take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify POS Go mobile device. Easy peasy. And if there's ever a question, Shopify's award-winning support is there to answer your questions. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lisk, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lisk to take your retail business to the next level today. One last time, go to shopify.com slash lisk. So let me ask you this. Where does it go from here? Like, what are they doing right now? You know, there, of course, there's search warrants, but just kind of walk us through, like, what do the next couple of weeks look like? Uh, just just more investigation. He's not going to see a court, courtroom anytime soon. So just more investigation. Uh, you know, every tip that comes in, they're going to have to sign a tip to somebody. They're going to have to run out a lot of these leads. They're going to have to, you know, process any evidence they find uh, either at the storage facility or the house. You know, and they're going to start really combing through records more. Um, I'm sure they found some, you know, once they seize him and they seize his cell phone, they'll get into that cell phone with a search warrant and they'll really get to see everything that he's doing. Uh, he's probably using apps that they didn't even know about. And a lot of these apps, they save information. So, you know, it, it's crazy. Like you could um, you could write a search warrant to like FanDuel or DraftKings these days and they track your locations because they want to make sure when you're placing a, a bet that you're, you know, in a certain area or geographical location. So I'm sure they're getting like a treasure trove of information from his cell phone and they're going to just kind of run all those leads out. But that takes time. Even with a lot of personnel, it could take, you know, weeks, if not months to, to kind of go through everything. And, and between, you know, his house and, you know, if they're still pulling stuff out of there, these storage units that are coming up, other properties, tips, what do you think the person power, the manpower is on this? How many people are on this, do you think? A lot. Uh, you have multiple agencies involved. Each agency's, I would say, probably 30, 30 to 40 people between analysts, detectives, you know, evidence people, I'd say at a minimum. But you have the FBI involved, so which is a good thing because uh, with manpower and stuff like that, especially if, if things go out of state, especially if they have to go down to South Carolina again or... They have to figure out, you know, does he own a property in New Jersey? Like it's, it's been reported Um, the multi-state thing. is just a lot easier with, with them involved Um, as was, you know, seizing the Chevy avalanche in South Carolina. They were able to contact their partners down there and they were able to seize it for investigative purposes that will, you know, then be written for down there and they'll search that probably down there. So it's, you know, there's a lot of people working Um, as you can see, you know, even at the house, there's a lot of people, you know, it's, one of the biggest investigations probably in the history of this country um, as far as murder investigations. Yeah. And, you know, like we were talking about, who knows where it goes? I mean, it's hard to think this monster of a guy and I'm going, you know, off his searches and what he's already, you know, pretty much alleged to have done, which is really solid evidence as we've talked about. I am not going to be surprised in, you know, if Vegas starts revealing stuff and, you know, who knows? Yeah, the biggest thing is it's, it's probably going to be hard to prove a lot of the murders, but, you know, they won't release the information publicly, but they'll they'll have they probably have a good idea of a floor of, of how many you know he's responsible for right now. But unless there's like solid evidence towards those cases, they're not going to let you know that.
What do you think the chances are with his makeup that he wants to own and confess things? It's possible. It might take years. You know, at least by me in New Jersey, we've had we have a notorious serial killer here in New Jersey that, that comes forward with with new information every year or two. But it took you know it took a long time for detectives to you know speak with him and build rapport with him, and he's he's given up you know I think over over ten bodies right now um, in New Jersey. But uh, it's it's ultimately it's it's a possibility, but I wouldn't expect that to happen until after he goes through the court process. If he's found guilty, he'd have to go through the appeals process. And once the appeals process is complete, then I think he'd be more inclined to to talk. Mm, yeah. Like if you had, if you got to sit down with him, what line of questioning would you take to just kind of dig in a little bit? It'd be difficult. Uh, um, I think I would try to relate to him. I, I think my opinion is he, you know, he, basically like degrades these girls he basically looks at them as like almost like they're worthless to society you know with the way he, he taunts their families mm -hmm. and the things that he's actually said you know calling them like whores and stuff like that i would try to build rapport with him in basically like minimalizing the victims which is you know it sounds messed up but you kind of have to you kind of have to be on his level. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. To kind of relate to him. That's probably the approach I would take. There's not going to be any type of deals or anything they can really do with him if they have a really solid case. I mean, he's he's looking at life in prison. There's nothing else. There's nothing else on the table. So as far as like a plea or something like that, I wouldn't expect anything in this case, especially with it being such a high profile case. It's not much you can offer him, but I think it, it would just take numerous visits. I think you'd have to visit him, you know, every month, every two months, build rapport with them. When you visit him, you know, try to almost befriend him in a way. And a lot of these guys, they get complacent because they're, you know, they're they're in a cell 24 hours a day. They, you know, they have very little human interaction. You can see a, a lot of serial killers, they give interviews. They, they want to, you know, for all we know, he may want to be out there. He may want us to know his ultimate number of, you know, murders he's committed. Look at Joel Rifkin, another notorious serial killer from Long Island. Um, he gives interviews often. You know, and he's, you know, if, if you go to him and you say, you know, did you do this? And he didn't do it. He tells you, no, I didn't do this one. So we don't we don't know how Rex is going to be. But uh, I know he's probably on suicide watch right now, I would assume, based off of, you know, that, mm -hmm. it being a high profile case. I think that's been reported. Yeah. Oh, has it been? Yeah, I think so. That's oh, okay. what Shannon yeah, had said. That, so. Okay, that's not surprising. And that just basically means he's monitored more inside the jail. So as opposed to every... 30 minutes or looking at him every 15 minutes, you know, things like that. And obviously there's not a lot of any items in this room that potentially he could harm himself with. So, you know, no shoelaces, things like that. But yeah, I would just, I would suspect that he's on suicide watch and it's probably going to take some time for him to come around, but I think it's definitely a possibility. And the other thing too, I, I forgot to mention earlier is if you read the bail application, this is, Seems like there's a pretty good chance he probably listened to your podcast. I saw that. I saw that, that he had searched for podcasts. And um, I mean, it's weird to think, but I think he probably did. Yeah. So whatever becomes public in the future, as far as, you know, affidavits and stuff like that, that information will be in there. So you might, you know, that's something you might learn about in the coming months or so. What do you think the biggest hurdle is for the case, if you had to guess? I think there's a lot of hurdles. I think they're going to solidify the case between ultimately between DNA and search warrants and stuff like that. But just on the surface right now, I think there's a ton of hurdles. I think, you know, you have unreliable witnesses giving up the car. You have, you don't have the suspect's historical location records from the time of the murders. You just have cold billing records. So I think that's an issue. I think 
the DNA is going to be a big hurdle. It's going to be a big fight for New York to to win that. There's going to be motions. It's new technology. So, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of times the courts don't like new technology. We've actually had cases overturned here recently in New Jersey where from a New York lab, we they didn't deem the DNA reliable. Uh, my opinion is without a doubt reliable, but because it was new technology, they, you know, the appellate division said that, uh, that we can't rely on that yet. So I think that's the DNA is definitely going to be a hurdle, but I think that they have more that they could test or that they are in the process of testing. So I think, you know, they're going to have their ace in their, in their pocket at some point. Um, I think they're just probably holding on to a little bit right now. So DNA is a little bit of a hurdle to me. They got the right guy. I, I don't think there's no doubt that they got the right guy. I just, you know, there's a lot of like most homicide cases. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence, but when you have a lot of circumstantial evidence, a lot of times, like it's not always a bad thing. You kind of, can become overwhelming and it's tough because I'm you know I'm so glad that we live in a country where you really have you know before you take someone's freedom away forever you have to meet a burden of proof and um but it's like you know like we all know he did it but they got to prove it kind of thing absolutely yeah listen the last the last thing any any police officer or myself wants to do is arrest an innocent person <laughs> trust me we do not you know we don't want that on our hands. So they obviously feel very confident that they have the right guy. You know, like the, all the Google searches, like they look great to like somebody that's not in law enforcement. But, you know, at the end of the day, a defense attorney can come in and say, well, he lives in Massapequa Park. This is a big, you know, like these murders were big news. Like he's a crime junkie. He listens to podcasts. Yeah, he's searching the stuff because he's interested in the case. Like there's arguments, you know, and counter arguments for everything. So like that stuff's circumstantial, like, that stuff will probably, you know, come into court. They'll have motions for it. They'll come into court. But at the end of the day, that doesn't prove that he is a Long Island serial killer because he's searching the case and searching the family members. Like, you know, I, I searched the case. If you look at my Google, my Google search history, like, you potentially might think that I'm, I'm involved. Um, no. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, mine too. Um, I get it. Yeah. It's mentioned in the bail application that he visited the Gilgo News website. Like, I've been on there. Like, I thought the Gilgo News website was probably um, – a creative move they probably use what's called like a honeypot it's they can track all the ip addresses mm -hmm. that are using the website so if they see like a specific ip address constantly checking the website you know it's something they they might subpoena and then look into where that ip address is out of i thought that was probably a good move on their part the only problem with those are a lot of times it's you know it's crown junkies and it's you know people within your own office is a detective just nosy and curious and constantly going to the website but uh yeah. i thought that was a good move by uh, suffolk county but uh, i think there's a lot lot more that we don't know about right now i think we just know bare bones well and i, I you mentioned the ip thing it was uh in the bail application there was that thing where they were able to see him you know approve like a terms of service on an ip address that was tied to his home you know it's just one of those threads where it's like you know you have a couple of those you can't really rest a case on it, but you get enough crisscrossing, it can hold a case, you know, and I think they're still building on that and adding threads and building up that that strength. No, absolutely. Is there anything else that uh, we've missed that's that are on your notes? There's a report out there. Um, I think it was in the New York Post or Daily News that uh, they interviewed a associate or working associate of him that's been inside this house before and she stated that he had like a locked room in the basement that um, he wouldn't let her in. I guess she had to do a survey of the house for renovations and he wouldn't let her down there. So, I mean, you never know. There might be 
like I said, a trophy room, or there might be a room where, you know, he was able to kill and then do whatever else he did to these girls. Um, yeah. The storage facility is a possibility. The, the woods, we, we just, we have no idea. It, it'll be interesting to see, like, did he have a little cabin? Because, you know, storage unit, obviously it's quiet, but boy, you have a car out there late at night and it says something, you know, someone could come around and you have nowhere to go. That's where it makes me think his house. And what do storage facilities have? They have cameras. You're not going to, you know, are you going to really kill somebody at a storage facility? You know, they all have cameras because they're storing items of value to people. I find it hard to believe that. I think he might be storing stuff there, but I find it hard to believe that he was actually committing any criminal acts at the storage facilities. I think it's more likely he did it at his house or had some type of cabin or another property or... Mm -hmm. um, and that's stuff that, you know, might come up during the search warrant. They might find a deed to a property and then they might seize the property and search that too. Um, yeah. On ongoing investigation is the best way to put it. But that's going to be law enforcement's jobs going forward is to, you know, try to build a story for court. Um, you try to build a story of how the girls were abducted, where they were abducted, where they were ultimately killed, and then ultimately we know where they were discarded. But uh, that's, that's the job of the TA's office right now with New York. Hey, I'm going to let you go. Thanks for speaking with us. Anytime, Chris. Anytime you ever need anything, just give me a call. You got my cell number. Thanks, brother. Stay safe. All right. Thank you. Have a good day, right? You bet. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Lisk Long Island Serial Killer and that you've learned something about what it takes to track a potential serial killer and the detailed work that goes into documenting a crime scene. We'll be releasing updates weekly, so please download these new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. For more info, follow us on social media at Atlas Podcast. And thank you very much. This has been a Mopac Audio production. I'm your host, Chris Moss. Our executive producers are Jonathan Beal and Jonathan Nauzarden with music by Blake Maples.